2: Yeah, welcome back. Replicon Radio, we're here, we're doing it. We're back. Take two.
3: uh. (laughs) Yeah, we're doing it, man. uh, Yeah, I don't know if that's ever happened to you in another podcast where, uh, you know, 10 minutes into a podcast, they got to run off and go unload a truck, but that's the exciting life of a Hollywood uh, filmmaker and screenwriter. You know what (laughs) I mean? I had to go to Burbank and unload a truck full of cardboard boxes, full of uh, clothes.
2: It's perfect, but we're back, we're doing it, you came back, we're live, I did. the man on the phone, you may know him, I, this could be the second intro, who knows how this is going to work out, but anyway, <laughs> Trent Hega live, on the line, right here, welcome again to Replicon Radio, uh, again, I appreciate it, especially after the uh, the day you had, so.
3: <laughs> yeah yeah hey listen man uh my apologies uh, uh so i just discussed uh, uh how i landed my, my my job at trauma i think hopefully we'll use that other stuff and now that i mention it you're you have no choice but to do it you're right. just, we're just going to acknowledge that i had to cut this podcast short for a minute to go run out for a couple hours and do like a uh, manual labor and now i get to come back and be a big time hollywood douchebag here i am <laughs> it's
0: perfect
2: you're gonna be like the first uh, episode we've ever had like outtakes of
4: Nice. because
2: <laughs> a lot of times we'll do it live and our different stuff so let's yeah it'll be good um, so All yeah right. you you uh, were working at CompuServe. You, you went to go get a job as an extra you ended up landing the role in terrafirmer um, but prior to that you were actually once you were go you were into film anyway right you want to film skill prior to that before you get the job right like so what, I mean what was your initial idea like with film did you want to be an actor do you want to be a writer like what what was it about film that brought you to film school to begin with
3: well uh i guess uh, we got to harken back again to the fact that i'm an old old man you know what i mean uh i graduated high school in 1990 i was living in charleston west virginia at the time and you've got to think that was 30 something years ago film schools weren't as predominant and when you said i want to go to film school you know we didn't have the internet Okay, so I worked at a video store, and I would watch all the weird Shokushugi ninja movies and Andy Warhol's Dracula and Frankenstein. Like, you know, I was really into obscure cinema. I was always a movie fan. And, uh, you know, my parents, my dad is a, you know, works for the coal industry. My mom is a nurse. And uh, they were like, look, we've worked hard. You need to go to college. And I was like, I don't need college. I'm just going to end up working in the coal mines like dad or whatever. And, uh, they were like, no, no, you should go to college. And I was like, I don't know what I'm going to, I don't know what I want to do, but what I do know is I have an insane interest in cinema. And so I was like, if you want me to go to college, I want to go to film school. And everybody was like, there's school for film. <laughs> <laughs> like, don't you have to have an uncle that like works at Paramount or something? How are you going to do that? And I was like, I don't know. Honestly, my my plan was I was going to go learn how to make a movie, and then I thought for sure I would end up living back in the Midwest and just doing blue-collar work. You know, my grandpa was a Tulum die maker for General Electric. My dad worked for Peabody Coal. Like, I'm just from a long line of sort of blue-collar Midwestern workers. And in 1990, saying, oh, I'd like to make a movie, people were like, yeah, you know, good luck with that. Yeah. So I went to film school and, you know, I I just learned everything I could about making movies. And I just thought for sure that I was going to end up, you know, never, ever making a movie in actuality. (laughs) But I was always more interested, definitely, in like uh, the behind the scenes stuff. You know, Uh, the fact that I've been in so many movies and I've acted in so many things is almost, and this is going to sound terrible for people who aspire to be actors, but it was almost an accident.
4: You know, I literally
3: went in to be an extra. I ended up getting cast in a pretty significant role in a movie, and after that, that movie came out, and you know, people would ask me to be in their movies, and I was always like, well, since I never intended to be an actor anyway, I can't embarrass myself. I can't pick a bad project that's gonna ruin my career as an actor, because I never really intended to be an actor. So I kept acting in movies, and I would use those opportunities to kind of get to know filmmakers, and then turn it around and try to get behind the scenes. I mean, you know, with Terror Firmer, I was hired only as an actor, uh, but by the next movie, The Toxic Avenger 4, we made a year later. I was the line producer, the assistant director, I was the screenwriter, you know, I hired the cast and crew. So I sort of used my uh, uh, the, my, my lucky streak, I got to get in front of the camera, to work my way behind the camera.
2: Absolutely. What better way to learn about and, uh, movies than to be
3: in them, right? <laughs> One hundred percent. I mean, you know, nothing is required of you except to act. And there's more non-acting than acting going on. I mean, if you're if you're working for 12 hours, you're probably getting four or five minutes of film being captured. The rest of the day, you're doing the logistics of making a movie. So uh, I love being an actor because I get to watch other crews and I get to watch other directors and I get to learn how they did things and what to do right and what to do wrong. And uh, it's. Really uh, prepared me for being able to direct my own movies, which came way later. I spent years uh, here in LA working as a production assistant, working on in the art department on a bunch of TV commercials and TV shows and whatever. I mean, I was just a, I was just a guy who would do anything, you know. Uh, and the whole time I was writing screenplays, you know, in my downtime. So.
2: That's awesome. So, so you landed. So you ended up. So you did the film school thing. You ended up going back to New York. I guess uh, there's a story with that, too. I guess you ended up following following a, a young lady there. Is that how you ended up in New York and how destiny kind of presented true. itself again? <laughs>
3: exactly. Exactly. You know, I uh, like I said, I didn't really have a big master plan when I got out of college, but I dated this girl all through college. She works in the fashion industry. I just unloaded a truck full of clothes that she designed. Yeah. And, uh, uh, you know, I was like, you know, I don't really know what I'm going to do. New York seems okay. And I... Went up there. Fortunately, you know, trauma happened to be there. And uh, that's how I got hooked up with them. But, uh, uh, yeah, that's why I went to New York was to be with this uh, young lady who is now uh, my wife. And golly, gee, we've been together for 30 years.
2: Congratulations on that. That's pretty awesome. Yeah, thanks, man. That's an accomplishment for, sure. for anyone nowadays, regardless of making yeah, movies. Yeah,
3: you yeah, no, know, exactly. We're always like, even if we broke up today, this would still be a win. Right. <laughs> we did it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, totally. That's awesome.
2: Um. So, so back to where we were. You ended up, uh, you know, while you're out there working, you, you slip Lloyd the screenplay. You get hired to write Toxy Four, which is crazy for anyone that's ever tried to get into movies. And you just, oh, here, here's your job as a screenplay writer. But that's awesome. Obviously, your work was, you know, Lloyd was impressed.
3: Yeah, exactly. I mean, I think that the script that I gave Lloyd was never something that Lloyd would have made, but it showed that I had sort of a gumption and, uh, was like going, I was going ahead and writing screenplays even if I wasn't sure if they'd ever get made. You know, I'm a proactive guy and that's the way you have to be. You have to be very proactive in this business. You got to get out there, put yourself out there as a writer. You just have to keep writing stuff so you can generate work. Uh, so Lloyd read my sample and really liked it and, uh, I think he knew the kind of guy I was and how seriously I take the, take the work and how uh, diligent and and quick working I am. I mean, I credit my, you know, growing up, uh, working on grandpa's farm, you know what I mean? My blue, I I treat this job in much the same way that I would treat any sort of a job. You know what I mean? My dad did not dig 16 tons of coal one day and then go, now I'm going to like hang out by the pool read scripts and sort of figure out what my next move is for, you know what I mean? And, yeah. <laughs> which is what Hollywood is all about. It's like, hmm, I'm going to make something. And then, you know, I need to take six months to try to set up the next thing. No, I mean, you've got to go into the coal mine and dig every single day. That's how it works. That's how I approach it. And I think that that's why it's uh, worked out for me. I mean, I've made a lot, a lot of movies. I just haven't made a lot of money doing it, but uh, it's because of uh, just pushing, 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 always working. You know,
2: that's awesome. So, So, Toxie 4 comes out. People love it. Like, what happens now? You're, now you're a screenwriter. I mean, now you're a screenwriter. You're an actor. You're a screenwriter. Like, what, I mean, what happens next? Like, where are you? Are you like, are you freaking out in your mind? Like, holy cow, I'm doing it. I'm making, I, I did what I wanted to do that I never thought I would do. Yeah,
4: <laughs>
3: yeah. <laughs> you know, it's interesting. I think that, uh, that, that's it. It's sort of like, and I, and I hate to keep bringing up that comparison, but it's like, uh, uh, there's an addicting quality to it. And there's definitely a uh, junkie whatever, you know what I mean? You do it, and it feels real good. And then you try to go back to the real world and you're like, this can't be done, man. I need the next high. I need the next hit. Yeah. I need to make another movie. And And so that's how it went. And it's really weird. I mean, obviously... You know, all I wanted to do was work with Louis Kaufman. All I wanted to be is an extra. I ended up, like, really putting myself out there, and I got a bigger role. Then I wanted to be more creatively involved. I wanted to be behind the scenes. I wanted to write a movie that got made. And I was able to push myself into that realm. Uh But then I did that, and I was like, well, that's cool. I've done those, but what can I do next? And I think that that's always... The way I look at it is it's uh, it's always cool when you do something, and then you can stand back and look at your accomplishment, but I only do that for a very, very, very brief second, and then I turn around and I try to look ahead and figure out what the next move is. All right, so now I've written a movie it has been made, and it's a trauma movie. It's a toxic Avenger movie. It's the pinnacle of my success, but there's got to be another pinnacle I can create. What is that? You know what I mean? How many more movies can I write and get made? Uh, you know, and so that's the way I look at it is this is uh, just putting one foot in front of the other. So I don't really spend a lot of time turning around and looking where I've been. I just constantly concentrate on what I can do next, you know. Okay. Uh, but yeah, of course, I mean, you know, it's very exciting and very thrilling to have grown up watching Lloyd's movies and, you know, and, and, and admiring them. And then all of a sudden now I'm one of the I'm a writer of a Toxic Avenger movie. I mean, can't it get better than that? I didn't think so at the time, but it can.
2: <laughs> no, absolutely. Yeah, but that's I mean yeah, that's an that's an incredible accomplishment, especially just thinking of where you came from, just watching the movies.
3: You know, a hundred percent. A hundred percent. Like I you know, uh I do not have an uncle who works at Paramount. I don't have like tons of I wasn't born rich so that I could like hang out and like I said, wait six months to try to make a plan. Like this is uh this is my job, and uh, uh, it was, yeah, like I said, being a, just being a kid who grew up in the Midwest to uh, blue collar workers and whatever, it was like very. It's very exciting that I can. It can be done. You know what I mean? I guess that's the thing. Is I'm always like, this is amazing because I'm proving to myself that this can be done. The things that people told me couldn't be done when I was 18, I have done. You know,
2: absolutely. And it doesn't get any better than you know the leader of the diaper mafia. How do you?
3: <laughs> you know what I mean? You, you, yeah, yeah, right? I was like, oh, that's it. I've done it all. Now what I, What am I going to do? But yeah. you've always got to try to, like, build the next level up. You know what I mean? Absolutely. Build the next level up. So.
2: so so going from that, how did you go from, holy cow, I just got to write the screenplay for Toxie, to stumbling into the, uh, the world of Charles Band and becoming Killjoy the Clown? <laughs>
3: Yeah, right. Well, I mean, that happened pretty soon afterwards. What happened is my wife grew up here in Southern California, where I live now. And uh, we've been living in New York, and, you know, I made my trauma movies. And, you know, we were married, and we knew we were going to have kids and stuff. So we were just like, eventually, we're going to end up on the West Coast. Let's make the move. Uh, I moved about halfway through. I, let me see. I wrote Lloyd's book, Make Your Own Damn Movie. And then I started to do a TV series called Trauma's Edge TV, where I was like the host and we did half of those and then i moved out here to the uh, to the west coast and i did my other half of my trauma movies and then I got just a regular job working at a tel- at a post-production place. I was a Tulles assistant. And I worked that for a couple months and was like, man, I know I just want to work in movies, but this is the lamest aspect of working in movies. Like, this is transferring uh, dailies from uh, Walker, Texas Ranger, onto, you know, digital so that they can be edited. Like, Ooh. this is terrible. <laughs> uh, so I sort of... Put out some feelers and whatever, and Debbie Rochon, who was my co-star in both Terra Firmer and Citizen Toxie, and you know we became friends working on those movies, and she uh, was going to do this movie, Killjoy 2, as an actor, and she knew that and it was on the West Coast, and she knew that I had just moved out there, so she was like, let me put you in touch with J.R. Bookwalter, who's the producer of these three movies for Full Moon, and uh I went and I met with J.R. Walter, and he was like, would you like to come on and work on these three movies as a producer? Because uh, you've got experience doing these trauma things. And these were also very low budget, quick turnaround. Uh, there were three movies that we did for band. And we did three of them in three months. He went to Blockbuster and sold three titles of movies that he didn't have. And he told them that he had them. And so they were like, great. We'll uh, take uh, Killjoy 2 in January and we'll take Hell Asylum in February and we'll take Dead and Rotting in March. And they need to be in the stores for then. And Charles Band was like, okay, this was like in August the year before. And he came back and was like, here's three titles. I need you to make three movies and they need to be done like now.
4: So we
3: went out and uh, gosh, man, I think I got hired on Killjoy 2. And like 12 days later, we were shooting that movie and eight days, uh, we shot that movie for eight days and we finished it and then we sent it over to the post-production team and I started writing Hell Asylum and I wrote that in about five days and then 12 days or 15 days after I turned it in, we started shooting that and we shot that in eight days and then I uh, flew to Ohio. And I produced Dead and Rotting for for the the same team, so we just did bam, 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 three entire movies in three months. Wow. From you know, from soup to nuts, it was pretty. It was pretty amazing, and it was a great experience. I learned really a lot about scheduling, and you know, just trying to trying to shoot a movie in eight days is really hard. Trying to shoot three movies, each of them in eight days, and three months is almost impossible. That's so uh, you know, it was a great learning experience, and fundamentally, you know, I. Got hired to uh, be a producer of Killjoy 2, and we were, like I said, we only had like maybe two weeks of prep, and we had to cast, hire the whole cast. And the director, Tammy Sutton, and I were having a meeting, and she was like, who are we going to get for Killjoy? And I was like, well, what happened to the guy who played Killjoy in the first movie? And she was like, "He won't do it. I don't know if it wasn't enough money. I don't know what it was. But I was like, okay, no problem. We'll just find a guy about the same height and the same whatever. And she was like, well, I saw you in your other two movies, and you're an actor. I know you're going to be there because you're the producer, so maybe you should just play the clown as well. And I was like, okay. (laughs) That's that's amazing. (laughs) And that's, that's how that happened. And I ended up, you know, making that. And let me tell you, I mean, it's okay, it's fun to be the clown for a minute, but like, having to go in before everybody and get, like, an hour's worth of makeup put on and then not being able to take it off for lunch and wearing it for 16 hours a day and then having to take another 40 minutes to remove it and then going home to bed for about five hours and then turning around and putting it all back on again, uh, you know, uh, six days in a row. I think Killjoy shot for six of the eight days, you know? Mm-hmm. Uh It's, it's a, you know, there's a, whatever, it's a strain, it's a strain. I'm not going to be one of those people, acting is hard, okay, because I've worked every job on a set and acting is possibly the easiest job on the set. Sorry actors, but I just got (laughs) to say that, that's how I feel about it after having worked on all the jobs on the set. But I did it, I took one for the team, I was like, you know what, I know I'll do it and okay, great. So I went and got my head cast and the makeup and whatever, I played Killjoy in this movie. And uh, then we did a couple others, uh, and then I, you know, went off to go work on TV commercials and whatever, and do other projects, and a couple of years later, I got a call from the effects guy from Killjoy 2, uh, or the guy, Tom Devlin, who was going to do the effects to Killjoy 3. And we were friends and uh, he was like, look, they're getting ready to do a part three and I think you should come back and play the clown. And I was like, whoa, whoa, whoa. No, that was never part of the agreement. I just wanted to, you know, do it because I was a producer and I was responsible for that production. I didn't have any intention to play the clown, you know. Uh, But then he was like, look, we're going to China and we're shooting this movie. And I was like, really? China? China? (laughs)
4: <laughs> all right, I'll do
3: it. So yeah, then, we, right. so then I, I went to China and we shot part three, and that was when sort of John lechago came on, and I really was like, "Oh, this has got a much bigger scope and a greater vision than what uh, what we did with the second one." And there were all these other clowns, and you know, there was just something about uh, you know the first three. I love the teams that we were working with, but we were sort of like mercenary. We were just jobs to hire to make three movies as quickly as possible. This one, John had spent some more time with it. He had actually written a script. He, you know, is a artist and a production designer uh, by trade. And so he had a little bit more of a vision. And uh, it sort of was the first time the sort of the, the Killjoy team for who did three, four, and five all kind of got together. And I liked working with those guys, so... A year after that, when they called me up and said, guess what? Part three did so well. We're going to do part four. Of course I did it. And then a couple of years after that, they were like, part four did so well. We're going to do a part five. And so I came back and did that one. And, you know, if they call me tomorrow and they're like, guess what? We'll do a part six. I'll probably do it if it's the same team of people. <laughs> I like working with them, so. That's awesome.
2: Yeah, we. Uh, I had the uh, pleasure of speaking with John and with uh, Victoria Demar. Um and yeah, okay. they, were, they were they were fantastic. I, I enjoyed it, and she definitely uh, talked about the the burdens of the uh, the makeup in the in the scheduling as well. So I, I can only imagine. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I
3: mean, you know, I only have to have my whole head done. She has to have her entire naked body done, and yeah. it takes like a lot longer. And then she's got to walk around with no clothes on. Although, like when you're in China during monsoon season, and it's like a billion gajillion degrees. And it's all hot and humid. There were times where I was like, "Man, I wish Killjoy was just naked because I'm ready to die." <laughs> <laughs> it's So hot. That's
2: awesome. It's uh. I mean, what's it? I mean, obviously, like we, we kind of talked earlier. You know, it wasn't really your idea to act, let alone you know with the Killjoy. It wasn't you had no intentions. And then all of a sudden, you essentially you became this iconic character. You know, eight years later, they're making you know several sequels and everything else. And now, like fans are still clamming for a new one. You have an action figure. Of your character. Yeah. Like, like, what's, like, how crazy is that to think, like, I just want to make movies and now here I am, this iconic character and, like, what's, what's Right, that right,
3: like? right. I mean, I think that, I think that a lot of times that kind of thing happens and you're not, that wasn't, I didn't have a plan, you know what I mean? I wasn't like, and then Killjoy will become a thing. I, I was literally just like, uh, uh, what's always been my thing in my career or whatever is, I just say yes. You know what I mean? I say yes and I'm open to the universe, man. I'm open to what may or may not happen because... What you know about are all the success stories of the things that actually succeeded and got out there. But for every one time I said yes to playing Killjoy and it turned into a franchise figure, there's 15 times where I tried to get a movie off the ground and it just nothing ever happened. You know what I mean? So it's interesting that that you always, you hear about the successes, but you never hear about the failures because, you know, nobody talks about the failures because they don't get made. You know what I mean? Uh, So really, in a way, it's...
0: It's time to get your checking account to zero with free checking from Penn
3: Being open to it and being like, yes, yeah, I'll do that. I mean, a funny story is that I ended up going to China to make uh, part three. And while I was there, like, you know, they just basically had us locked up in the sound stage for nine days. And then they were like, OK, now you can go home. And I was like, wait a minute, man, I can't fly all the way to fucking China just to stand in a sound stage in clown makeup. You know what I mean? For nine days yeah. and then turn around and fly back. I, I, I may never go to China again. So I was like, I'm going to change my return flight from Hong Kong and I'm going to go up to Beijing for four days just to go see the Great Wall of China and do whatever all by myself. And I went up there. Uh, as I said, my wife works in like clothing manufacturing and she knew a dude who like she worked with, who had some factories and did import export and clothing manufacturing in Beijing. And she was like, well, let me like put you in touch with that guy since you don't know anybody there. And so I ended up going out and having dinner with this gentleman, uh... And he was like, well, what are you doing in China? And I was like, oh, I was down in Guangzhou making this movie. And he was like, you're making a movie in China? Like in
4: English? Yeah,
3: yeah, yeah. And he was like, wow, that's really interesting. So what does it take to make a movie? And I kind of explained to him. And he was like, well, do you have a movie you'd like to make? And I said, oh, sure. And he was like, how much money would it cost to make that movie? And I threw him out a number. And he was like, OK, that sounds good. I'll produce your next movie. And that's how my film Chop got made.
2: Oh, wow. I did not know that. That's awesome. You know,
3: so uh, and it is weird because on one hand, and I, this is the thing is, you know, a career or whatever. I mean, there's a huge amount of luck involved, but there's also just, like I said, just kind of putting it out there, constantly putting it out there. You know what I mean? You have to, as they say, you've got to stir a lot of pots in order to get one to boil. And so if you look at my career and you go, man, this guy's made like a hundred films in some way or another. But the truth of the matter is I've tried to make 500 yeah. You know what I mean? I've only succeeded 100 times.
2: <laughs> no, that's awesome. That's It's just, yeah, it's crazy. Like how things just, the world just works that way and things just fall, not necessarily into place. Yeah. But, is, you know what I mean? Like you say, you, the more doors you open, eventually someone's going to answer one of them.
3: That's, yeah, no, that's exactly it. That's exactly it. I mean, you just kinda gotta kind of got to kind of... Sniff around, and you've got to be able to recognize opportunity when you see it, and then, and then take advantage of that opportunity when you can. You know, And I, yeah, I think that I get better and better at it, and also the more opportunities that you get, and then you take advantage of, the more product you have out there, and the more you're doing, and then you have something that you can point at and be like, look, you can trust me to do this. I've done this 12 times already. Or I played the clown, everybody liked it, you can trust me to play the clown again. You know I'm going to show up, you know I'm not going to be trouble. And, uh, you know, and, and so they go, yeah, great, you're right, we'll keep bringing you back to play Killjoy, and all of a sudden, I am Killjoy.
4: Yeah,
2: absolutely, <laughs> 100% you are Killjoy. But yeah, that's awesome. And you got to have, uh, I mean, I love when John took over, it became more, uh, It's you know, there's more depth to it, but it's more funny than it is trying to be the scary clown, like it's it's more fun, and I'm yeah, sure it was yeah, more fun exactly. for you guys as well.
3: Exactly. I mean, in the first, in part two, which was my first one, which was similar to part one in tone, it was sort of like Killjoy invades the real world, and then, you know, sort of just as like a magical Jace or whatever. And then what I really like about what John did is we kept going further and further into the clown world until the point like we're the last one i mean geez, we're like in space it's ridiculous yeah. <laughs> like there is no real world analog anymore we are just completely gone totally into killjoy's clown world and it's way more fun to do those
2: absolutely yeah you're you were, uh Batty boop is with child and you guys are in space so <laughs> it's uh,
3: <laughs> yeah yeah exactly Different. so gosh and leaving it, leaving it on a cliffhanger like that. What's going to happen in part six? I don't even know. I have no idea. <laughs> yeah, yeah.
2: The people are, uh, people are definitely clamming for that. We talked to both of those guys about it. Everybody seems like they're, uh, they're definitely interested. It's just uh, more of a budget issue. It's got to be bigger, 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 it bigger. Is. So
3: you know and i think the problem that happens particularly with full moon is that they give you a certain amount of money you make something good uh, everybody likes it and then they're like well that's amazing you guys are so talented now we're going to give you a little bit less money and a little bit less time yeah. and then you push it through and you make it amazing and they're like wow you were able to do it less money and less time can you do it for less money and less time so uh, in hollywood if you make a movie and it succeeds Everybody gets more money, and there's a bigger budget for the next one, and the next one, and the next one. Whereas uh, in the full moon world, it's the exact opposite. Yeah. <laughs> if you make one of the succeeds, they ask you to do it again, but for less money and less time. And every time it gets less. And, less. and I'm honestly, uh, we shot Killjoy's Psycho Circus in five days. That's yeah, uh, uh, yeah, yeah. It's like not recommended. You know what <laughs> I mean? And you keep thinking while you're making it, wow. If we had 12 days. Wow. Think of what we could make. You All right. Absolutely.
2: Yeah, and a few more million dollars. Who knows? I mean, if the sure. <laughs> yeah, yeah. If, a few more. <laughs> well, just yeah.
4: Just one. Just yeah. one, just one yeah.
2: <laughs> but, yeah, I just, I just keep telling the fans and everybody listening just to keep, uh, just like John told us, like, just keep harassing Charles in full moon and tell him you want it. Eventually, uh, you know, they'll find a way. Keep keep banging yeah,
3: on the door yeah, someone no, will think- answer <laughs> Exactly. I think he will and I think he does respond to uh, you know, fan input. I mean, fans are the ones that are really like have continued to drive that company and a company like Trauma. I mean certainly new fans come along all the time, but it's the old fans that are that have been there for years that really dictate whether or not these things get made.
2: Absolutely. No, I remember when I was when I was a kid like and I remember Terra firmer, like 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 you said pre internet basically, like and I wasn't I didn't quite understand the movie. I just knew that it was, like, an epic thing, Um, and, like, I I bought it, and, like, I had it, and I didn't know why. I just knew there was something special about it, Um, and then I saw Tromeo and Juliet, and I was, like, scared of life, and I loved it, and it was so confusing and scary in a weird (laughs) kind of way, and I fell in love with *Troma* after that, but.
3: Yeah, in many ways, they're like weird gateway drugs that like young kids can watch and they know that what is going on is very adult, but it's being done in a juvenile way. So it's a weird, like there's a transitionary period when you're a young teen where trauma movies like really, really, really speak to, speak to you. I mean, they certainly did to me on USA Up All Night when I was a young, young, young man, you know, so.
2: (laughs) Absolutely. Yeah, it's crazy. So, I guess going back to you you ended up meeting this guy so you, he helped you with chop. So how did like that's yeah. essentially your first you're the director now. You're you're the man. Like what was yeah. that what was that experience like? You're making your own movie now. Like was that was that a whole new world for you? Was that like how was that experience? Was that totally different or
3: yeah, I mean, look, it was super exciting. Uh, uh, we also shot that thing in, I think, maybe 10 days or something like that. I didn't have a very large budget, but because I had done these movies and I had produced them for a full moon, and I knew how to take very little money and make it work and approximately how much people should get paid and how fast we should shoot and how you could get the movie done. Uh, uh, so I was very, I think, prepared uh, for uh, making a movie at that level. Uh, um and of course, like I, all I wanted to do was direct. And What was great is I got to sort of like pick a project that was a lot more along the lines of what I've always wanted to do. I mean, I love Lloyd's movies, and I love Lloyd, and I love his vision. And when I wrote Citizen Toxie, I was thinking about writing the ultimate Lloyd Kaufman movie. And when I was working on Charles Band's movies, I was like, how can I make these the best Charles Band movies? But finally, with Chop, I got to make a Tranhaga movie. Uh, and I knew that it was, uh, and, 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 you know, that's what I do. They're sort of funny, sort of violent, sort of weird, you know, uh, maybe a little bit hard to put in the box. More of a crime thriller than an actual horror movie, but definitely having elements of horror movies in them while also having a little bit of that trauma punk rock humor to it, you know, I think that, Uh, uh, you know, eventually, yes, Chop was the movie where I got to take all the things that I loved about my trauma experience and all the things that I loved and learned from my full moon experience and sort of got to recombine them into my own thing. Uh, you know, was the movie successful financially? No. Was, do people even know it's out there? Not really. You know, but I did make a very, 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 very low budget movie that, you know, got a distributor and, you know was out and about there and you know some people who were interested saw it but uh, at the time I was in a completely different league I mean I didn't know anyone in the festival cycle I didn't know anybody uh, uh any real producers I just got some crazy chinese businessman to Wire me,
4: you know what I mean?
3: <laughs> A couple thousand dollars so I can make a movie, you know. And then once i was done, all I want to do is make the movie. Then when i finished the movie, I was like, now how do I get this out there? How do I sell it? How do I promote it? How do I market it? That's when I was like, oh boy, now I'm out of my depths yeah. yet again. But I used it to try to learn, you know, and uh it helped me with my subsequent movies.
2: Absolutely, yeah. I mean, that's I mean, that's with anything. I, I learned that I learned something every day doing the show and like. You know, I mean, there's so many things I've never done before. I just have to do it and figure it out and suck really bad at yeah. it. And then next time I suck a little less and hopefully eventually I'll be good at it.
3: <laughs> at yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. I mean, ultimately, I don't have enough money to pay people to do a good job at what I need to get done. So many, many times I'm like, I will just have to do it myself because I will work tirelessly for free. And I care about this project more than anyone else out there. You know what I mean? A salesman might be like, oh, I got this movie chop. What do you think, Korean buyer? Do you want it? And they're like, nah. He's like, OK, moving on. Whereas I would stand there and be like, no, you want this movie. No, you have to have this movie. Why are you saying no? Is it because of the money? Well, let's make a deal. Let's whatever. You know what I mean? And I think that you're the only one who, uh, uh, you know, until at a certain budget level, you just can't pay people to care enough. And you're the only one who can really, really, really care about these things. And ask him to do it. Like eventually, you're going to get to the point where you're David Fincher, and you're like, "I'm paying you a million dollars to do this job, so you better be the best at it." And they go, "You're right. For a million dollars, you get all of my time and effort. But if you're like, I will give you two hundred dollars, you know what I mean? You're going to get two hundred dollars worth of effort, from me, you know?" Yeah.
2: No, absolutely. Um, so you've you've I've, you've written like a a lot of movies. I mean, you've only directed two now, right? Like yeah. you've written a yeah. lot that have been made and obviously probably a million more than haven't been made. Um, how did you, I guess, how did you transition from like doing screenplays or writing stories into uh, like doing something like the evil within? Like how was that just a story right, that right. was written or was that, how did something like that come about for you?
3: Well, I mean, it's one of those things. First of all, you know, I was sitting down and writing scripts, you know, and then I would hand them to a guy like Lloyd Kaufman who wouldn't, buy that script or make that movie but he would hire me to write his movie for him so then i'd do it and uh let's see the next time around we we needed those three movies for a full moon and all we had was a title hell asylum and they were like we need somebody to write this you've written a movie that's been made trent would you like to write this and you go okay and you sit down and write it And you do that a couple times and then people might be interested in you as a writer Fundamentally, what happened is I kept writing my own screenplays because I wanted to write and direct a movie. And so then I would write a screenplay and I would go out and I'd be like, hey, I've got this piece of material and I would like to direct it. And people would read my writing and they would be like, this is really good. This is really solid. I don't want to buy this one, but can I hire you to write something else? Or better yet, they'd be like, I want to buy this script, but I don't know you as a director. I don't trust you as a director you know as a yeah. writer they've you've already done the work they can read it they know it's there dead yeah. girl was a script that i'd written that i wanted to direct but nobody wanted to hire me to direct it but then i found some filmmakers who had money and wanted to direct something and they were like we want to direct this movie and so then you're like, fine, I'll take the money, I wanna get it made, and then I'll just write another one. And that one is the one I'll direct. So I write something like Cheap Thrills. And then I take that around and go, I wanna direct this. And people are like, we don't know you as a director. <laughs> and then you get somebody to do it, and if you make enough like hits that way, then by the time 68 Kill came around, I had a script, and I went to a producer, and I said, I would like to make this, and no, I will not sell you the script. I have to be attached as a director and after, you know, selling enough scripts and writing enough movies that have been made, they trust you to direct. Or they think your writing is good enough that they want the script bad enough that they're willing to take a risk on you as a director. That's basically how it works. But I kept writing things for me to direct and then selling them to other people to pay my bills, and then they would direct them. (laughs) So,
2: but I mean, so I guess, um, with your, I guess another question, though, like with your writing, um, like, the ones that you wrote, like, you know what I mean? Like, sometimes, I, I'm sure you probably adapted some stuff, or like, you wrote for this, or you had a name, so you had to write that, so that was I guess that wasn't, yeah. that, that probably wasn't necessarily, like, your love child or anything, um, but like, right, the ones right, you wrote, right. like, Dead Girl, that was yours, so I guess it was more important yeah. to have it made than to have it sitting on the shelf, It's kind of, kind of how that,
3: yeah, 100%, I mean, honestly, my best screenplays, the ones that mean the most to me, and the ones that, get the best reviews that are the most loved that like years later people are still talking about them Are all the screenplays that i wrote by myself with no one hiring me to write something for the lifetime network or no one writing me to write a full moon movie like these were movies that meant screenplays that meant a lot to me and uh uh um as a result of that yeah absolutely you know what i mean i i you just you've got to get them out there and get them made dead girl cheap thrills Both of these screenplays sat on this shelf that I have full of tons of screenplays. I've got so many finished screenplays, a pile of them, like a huge pile. And and, and, uh, both of those, people read them and were like, you know what? You're a good writer, but these things are fucking crazy. And nobody's ever going to make these movies. Put them away. And then I was the only one, again, who believed in them and just kept getting them out there and kept pushing them out there. And eventually, you know what I mean? They do get made, and then I'm proved right. You know what I mean? They, they get into festivals. They win awards. People talk about them. But that's the problem, is all of my really personal stuff, things that I think are the best, are also uh, the hardest movies. Like, they're a little bit harsh. My vision is a little weird, and it's hard for, like, producers to get on board. They're scared. I mean, you know, for lack of a better word, Dead Girl is not the kind of concept that, you know what I mean, fucking Sony is going to be like, yeah, here's a bunch of money, right? You 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 know, when I write my own stuff, it's weird and it's different and it's uniquely me, but because of that... It's not like something you compare to 100 other movies and they're like, oh, yeah, it's like Jumanji. We'll just make that, you know, it's, <laughs> uh, it's definitely it takes a lot more work. You know, I've got one right now. I don't really like to talk about stuff, but I've got this screenplay that I have. that I wrote a couple years ago that I think is one of the best things I've ever written. It fits perfectly in the world of what I do. And I took it out and tried to get it set up twice with two different producers, meetings with actors, everything. But in the end, people get scared because it's pretty wild. You know what I mean? They're pretty fucked up movies. Uh, but you know what? Right now, it's getting ready to be optioned by a pretty big company that you've heard of. I'm not going to talk about it. But, uh, but guess what? A bigger director is attached to do it. This was the movie that I wanted to write and direct <laughs> as my follow-up to 68 Kill. And I couldn't get the traction that I needed. With myself as a director, but with this other director who's done some bigger stuff. He's got a Netflix TV show or whatever. And he read it and he was blown away and he has the connections to take it out and now it's going to a bigger company. So no matter how successful I get, if you're trying to move up to the next level, I'm still faced with that sort of a thing where they're like, we, don't, we won't let you direct it, but this guy, we will. And so then you just establish a relationship with a bigger director and, you know, just keep hoping that uh, eventually, you know, I'll be able to do that.
2: One tiny little step at a time. Well, hopefully... Yeah, yeah. I mean, with... Uh, I mean, obviously, I want to talk about 68 Kill. I mean, I feel like it's... Obviously, like you said, like all these other movies that you did, they, they people come back to them. They're like... You know what I mean? They realize later, which is it seems yeah. like a, a pretty big issue with, you know, a lot of the things you were making because you weren't in the right position to make them properly. So they come back around. They find you. Like, like I said, are we... I discovered, you know, like you and all your stuff because of our listeners. And now I went not watch 68 Kill and we're actually going to have uh, the other guys, we're going to we're going to put it we're going to do a review. I made them watch it. We're going to put a review up in a couple nice. of days, but uh I absolutely nice. love it. But I feel like with the Netflix, with things like Netflix and Amazon and streaming services, like those chances for you to be able to do that are going to be a whole lot bigger now because you can make them for those companies. And if people go out and watch 68 Kill a million times on Netflix, That's just like they want to go see it in the theater. You know what I'm saying? You're not going to make that money, but you're going to get the. uh, You know what I mean? They'll know. People will know that it's successful, and then they'll want you to make movies because that one was so fantastic. Yeah.
3: I mean, you know, and I mean, that's always the hope, you know, but uh, it's interesting. I always look. I look towards the future, but I never look seven steps ahead. I'm usually just looking right at the next foot that I can put down. You yeah. know what I mean? And so it's like, what can I do? I'll write another screenplay. Netflix is not coming to my house and knocking on my door. They don't even have my phone number. My movie's on there. Yeah. You know what I mean? But it's not big enough that whatever. But if I, I feel it's a cumul- cumulative thing, if I just keep doing this, if I just keep doing it, that, You know, quite frankly, I know that I'm not gonna direct a Star Wars movie, it's just not gonna happen. I know I'm not gonna make a Marvel movie. I'm not that I'm not at that level and I and I never will be and that's okay. But I do feel strongly that twenty years from now, you know what I mean, there's gonna be kids, there's gonna be people that are gonna go, Oh man, schedule, that movie was fresh and exciting. Wow, so was Cheap Thrills. Huh, so was sixty eight kill, huh? So was Trump? Wait a second, you know. And they're gonna. And I think that maybe in twenty years, like uh, people will look back and go, "Oh, wait, there was a common thread with all these radical visions, and Trent Hago was the guy." You know, it's really difficult because that's it. I want my products to be watched, and I love my products, but I do not look at myself as a product. You know what I mean? And that's very important these days, in yeah. the Twitter, and the YouTube, and the you know whatever. I don't do social media really. I've got a Facebook page. But that's it. I don't have any others. And I'm not out here spending time promoting Trent Haga as a product because I'm not a product. I'm a man who creates products. And in many ways, I think that uh, you have to sort of market yourself as some sort of a product. And, you know, I think it's because of my age. I'm just like, no, fuck that. You know, and also my dad's blue collar. You know what I mean? It was like, son, you keep your mouth shut. You put your nose to the grindstone. And if you work and you work hard and you work good and you're consistent, eventually the world will have to, you know what I mean, open up to you. And I still feel like that's the way to do it. Instead of me standing around going, hey, everybody, pay attention to what I've done, I'm just going to keep cranking stuff out until you have no choice but to pay attention to it. But it shouldn't be my job to, like, sort of market my own stuff. I don't want to have to do that. I'm a filmmaker. I'm not a marketer.
1: We made USAA insurance
3: for veterans like James. When he found out how much USAA was helping members save, he
0: said, "It's time to switch." We'll help you find the right coverage at the right price. USAA, what you're made of, we're made for. Restrictions apply.
3: No, oh, absolutely.
0: But I, I mean, that's
2: what. Yeah. But I'm saying, I feel like it's your. You know, I mean, obviously, I, I don't, I haven't seen your whole career live, but it seems like it's you're it's, it's just happening now. Like you're working, 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 but it's. It's getting out there, so hopefully it doesn't take another twenty years for people to realize uh you know the great work, maybe maybe a couple you know what I'm saying, <laughs>
3: yeah, yeah, you know what I mean, you just get to the point where you're like, uh, I used to have this joke with a friend I was like that's it man twenty twenty twelve it's my year, this is my year." <laughs> But, you know, you live 47 years and you start to go, okay, it's not really about, like, this year or that year. It's just about putting one foot in front of the other. And, I mean, honestly, it's really weird. Again, I do not talk about my stuff, but I've got three pretty significant, interesting, and really cool projects that are steps up above what I've done previously. But the truth of the matter is that all three of them could blow up in my face. You know what I mean? Or all three of them could get made this year. It's like that's the... This industry and working, uh, trying to do this for a living or whatever, is a little bit like being a professional gambler. I mean, every time. It doesn't matter if I just rolled, you know what I mean? I rolled fucking five times and hit every time. The next time you might lose. Or you might roll ten times in a row and lose, but the eleventh roll will be the one that hits, you know what I mean? And I don't even like to gamble, but my entire career is like predicated on the concept of being a gambler in a a way.
2: No, Absolutely. And you, so I guess speaking on that kind of you, there was you had that movie right, like you had this big budget, everything was ready. Giovanni Ravisi, Channing Tatum, Lindsay yeah, Lohan. Yeah,
3: yeah, dude. Okay, I'm not, I'm just gonna commend you on the fact that you've actually done a little bit of research on me. Honestly, <laughs> I, I I avoided doing interviews and podcasts because I was telling the same story about how I got to work for trauma. Yeah. <laughs> Over and over again. But, yeah, yeah. I mean, you know what? Listen. That That's on one, part one, really. bro.
2: That's not even on this. That's just take two.
3: Yeah. <laughs> yeah exactly, <laughs> exactly. That was in the other, the, the beginning of the podcast. But, uh, you know, yes, I did. I had a project that almost got made that was going to be the thing that was going to really put me on the map. We had a lot of big stars attached. I mean, we're talking about, like, uh, locations full of production design the dp of children and men a full production office like it was ready to go we had two academy award-winning women as the two leads we had Lindy lohan giovanni Orbisi was like a big deal and uh channing tatum it was crazy and uh you know fuck man
2: like what where, where, what was God, the time was period this? long
3: ridiculous story was this uh, like this was maybe dancing channing tatum 10, or like
2: 21 jump street channing tatum
3: Uh, No, this was like, he had only really done the step up at this point. Yeah, I think this is in 2009, because here's what happened. That screenplay was going around town. I got my name in Variety magazine, and people, like, uh, uh, I started to get interest from managers and agencies and everything like that. They were all, like, sniffing around me, but at the time, we were shooting dead girls. And I remember leaving the set of Dead Girl to go across town to go visit an agency, like a big time agency, and they were all about this other movie. It was called Poor Things, and so the screenplay that I'd written that was really close to going. And you know, uh, and then they were like, "What are you doing right now?" And I was like, "Oh, I just left the set of another movie that I wrote that is shooting." And they were like, "What?" You know, uh, but Dead Girl, and, and all the people that were like, "Forget about your low budget horror movie, Dead Girl." This is, this is it, man. This is it. And I was like, no, but you don't understand. I really, really care about Dead Girl and I'm here on set every day. I'm like a part of this process and I love this script and I want this movie to be great. Why are you wasting your time in low-budget horror movies? You've got like all these big stars and whatever. You should be concentrating on that. And lo and behold, Dead Girl ended up becoming a big cult hit and the other one never even got made. So, you know. Uh, but it's a long, ridiculous, totally bullshit Hollywood story, but the long and the short of it is we were about maybe a little bit over a day from getting started on this movie. And because I didn't have an agent, I didn't have a manager, I didn't have whatever, I had just been kind of writing for a little bit of money here and there, but I had a contract that I was going to get, like, a six-figure check on Monday morning. Uh, The first, the moment they started shooting, they were going to have a six-figure check for me. I was going to get in the Writers Guild. My wife was, like, super excited. And uh, Lindsay Lohan got busted for DUI and cocaine possession, like, the Sunday, the Saturday night last Sunday morning and we were supposed to start shooting Monday morning she went into rehab on Sunday because she had been getting into trouble and uh, they <laughs> put the production on hold for two or for 90 days for her to go to rehab no 28 days whatever uh, and then they tried to ramp it back up again she was out for a couple of days she went back into rehab and I mean like Brittany Murphy wanted to take the role over. Julia Stiles wanted to take the role over. But they had their financing was contingent upon the cast that we had. And that included Lindsay Bohan. And they ended up spending, I think, uh, probably almost $2 million on a movie that they didn't shoot one frame of. That's and, funny. of course, I did not get my six-figure check because they never shot the movie. So that's one of the things where I was like, look, I don't like to talk about things that I'm getting ready to do is because like that thing was as far as I was concerned done and it blew up in my face like you know one day before it was supposed to go and it was embarrassing it's embarrassing to like have all your friends and family know about this exciting project and then have to explain to all of them later about how it got fucked up you know and so because of that it's not like uh, I'm superstitious I just don't want to say I'm going to do something and then have something happen that is out of my control and then I have to explain why it never happened so I don't to talk about things that I am going to do or I'm in the process of doing.
2: You know? Yeah. No, I can understand. Obviously, I'm not doing anything that big, but that's the reason I didn't announce this interview until it was done. Because right, because
3: you never know when you're <laughs> going to be halfway through a podcast and then they just got to jet out and then they don't call you back. Right. Exactly. You know what right. I mean? That would be my uh, words of wisdom from an experienced person to anybody listening: is that like you know, hold your cards close to your chest, man. Enjoy making the things for what it is. You know, when it's actually done, you can talk about it then. But there's no reason to talk about a thing that isn't finished. That's
2: a you know hard I mean? thing it's, to do. It's when it's you a get waste ex- of excited.
3: Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, no, no. It is. It is. And I see it all the time in town with a lot of filmmaker friends of mine, or whatever. But for me personally, I've learned now the power of control. And I definitely just don't do it because of that experience. That experience was uh, brutal and devastating for me. Oh, I can only imagine.
2: So, um, yeah. I, I don't, I, I kind of know how movies are made. Obviously, you know, you're going to get finite and all that. I just like, I guess, like, I don't understand if you're if some if a company's in like, how is that movie not being pushed somewhere else, or why didn't someone else say, "Here's my million All these people like it. It's obviously probably going to be good because usually right. people think for other people so why wouldn't someone else throw right, right. another here's my million let's get this girl instead and keep chanting and like like how does- right right
3: well you know what they they really wanted to there were there were other companies that wanted to but here's what happens is like you know an independent film producer gave me a, a, like a month's worth of rent to write the script for him and i wrote it thinking, cool, I got my rent covered. Yeah. And then he went out and it got a lot of traction and it started to get stars attached. And then, I mean, Miramax and Focus and all the major studios like wanted to get involved. But they were like, look, guy, uh, producer guy, you know, we'll pay you back all the money you've invested in so far. We'll give you credit. Let us take over. We're a studio. We know what we're doing. And the dude was like, "Man, if all these people are hot for this, like, I could be making all the money they would make." So he went out and borrowed, you know, the money to make this movie, uh, and then blew it all and didn't make the movie. And so then, if another producer had to come by, well, guess what? They had to pay all of the debts that this guy had accrued in order to get it going again. So you. all of a sudden, the movie is, you know, automatically one and a half to two million dollars worth more than in the budget, right? So who wants to get involved in something like that? It sort of ruined it because they got so close to production and they spent so much money that then when they went around and tried to get other people to get into it, they were like, oh, by the way, you also have to pay back the people who put in this money that we blew already. And that is toxic. You know what I mean? And nobody wants to get involved in that.
2: That makes sense. Yeah, nobody wants to start two million in debt.
3: (laughs) Exactly, exactly. They're like, you can have this, but first you have to pay off. You know what I mean? So in essence, you're paying you know a couple million dollars for just a screenplay that's all there was you know what i mean you'd have to go back out and reattach all these actors and do all this stuff whose schedules have shifted and changed and and it's just kind of like a balloon that deflates you know what i mean all the air runs out of it and then you're like you want this shiny balloon and they're like this looks like a deflated balloon it is you know all you got to do is pay to put the air back in it right like
2: that yeah that makes sense that's crazy um so, I going to let's go back to 68 Kill cuz obviously we don't want to talk about things that aren't happening yet. Um, yes. So this it you actually this came out a couple years ago, but it's I guess it's recently on Netflix getting a new life. Um For anybody that hasn't seen it, like I said we're going to do a review, but you should go watch it because it's fantastic and uh
4: thank you. And like props,
2: I don't know I don't know who if it was your directing skills or just I didn't know any better, but Anna Lynn McCord I didn't like, holy cow She was fantastic. Yeah, like, wow, right? I was like, that's the girl from 90210? What's going on here?
3: (laughs) Yeah, yeah. You know, I mean, you're part of your job. I mean, one of your main jobs. You have a lot of jobs as a director. But finding that right cast, man, being able to see through whatever they, however they look and however they show up, like, when when they come and talk to you or whatever. This is like, I'm not powerful enough to get people at that level to audition for me. I just have to get them to hopefully read the script, and be interested enough to meet with me, and then sit down and have a conversation with me, and they're the ones who decide whether or not I'm good enough for them to be in the movie. You know, Annalyn McCord is a bigger name than me. Uh, So, of course, I mean, I met her and was like, oh my God, this woman is a spitfire. And she grew up in Alabama, and she's like, you know, I'm from the Midwest. I get it. This has got to have a very particular thing. She has to have an understanding of, like, you know... I love all those characters, even though they're dirtbags or whatever. You know what I mean? They're, I get it. I totally get it. I grew up around people that lived in tra- – I lived in a trailer park. You know what I mean? And what what would I do to get out of there? You just have to have an understanding of it. But
4: yeah.
3: being able to put all those people together and really go, you know what? This is going to be the right person for this role. Uh, I just feel like I got – yeah, yeah. I mean, I there's a the luck – about being able to get somebody like Anna McCord to read your script and be interested enough to come in, but there's a skill to being able to go, Yeah, she's gonna work. You know what I mean? There are other actors that were up for that part. There were other actors that were up for some of the other parts. But I picked the ones that I picked because I felt that they were gonna be they were going to work. And she's amazing.
2: Yeah. No, yeah, like I'm I'm not super familiar with the like everyone in the cast did a fantastic job. But I've just yeah, I really, I, I knew her as a girl from nine hundred two one zero, and I was like, what in the hell? Really, holy god! Like, she's badass. Like, I it, like it was it was it was awesome. I was like, oh my god! I didn't like this is this girl's legit. <laughs> like, I, yeah, that was,
3: yeah, no, she really is. Yeah, but yeah, the
2: movie's great. Um, I don't want to spoil it or anything, but yeah, everyone should go watch it. It's on Netflix. Watch it a million times. It's fantastic. It's a great story, and it looks great. Like. What was different about this movie, not that other movies look bad, but this is like, this isn't a low-budget movie. And if it is, it doesn't look like a low But It doesn't look like a Killjoy film. It doesn't look like,
4: yeah, you know yeah. what I mean? No, like, I mean, it's, is... a, it's,
3: it's got a bigger budget than a Killjoy movie, but I mean, it's still, I mean, like crazy low-budget in Hollywood terms, you know? I've probably never even said this to anybody in any interview or whatever, but the movie is, like, so far gone and so done already that whatever, but it was a $500,000 movie. Wow. That's awesome. So, uh, half a million bucks we made that movie. We shot it in New Orleans in about, mm, I think we had 18 days to shoot it. And uh, believe it or not, man, even my DP, that was the first feature he'd ever done. Oh, wow. Uh, uh, he, he had been a camera assistant, but... You know, look, it's all a matter of, like, it's all everything. Like, that's my job. My job is to go, this thing's got to look good. These locations have to look right. These costumes have to be right. You know what I mean? its uh, That's your job as a director. It's not... I don't actually have to physically go get the costumes. I don't have to physically... I mean, I did go look at every single location and whatever, but you're trying to pick all the things that are going to fit together and have a unified sort of a vision. You know what I mean? And uh, certainly when you're used to shooting a movie in eight or nine days, and then all of a sudden you have 18 days, Mm -hmm. I mean, there's more people involved, there's more logistics involved, but for a guy like me, I was like a kid in a candy store because I felt like I had so much time. Whereas a lot of other people would be like 18 days, like it's impossible even most low budget you know uh, VOD type movies in Nick Cage or whatever you see are at least 25 days <laughs> at least you know
2: so that's awesome well congrats I mean congr- I mean that's is- Hey, you might as well have had a Michael Bay budget, man. It looks fantastic. Like, it really does. <laughs> well, thanks, man. I mean, can
3: you imagine what I could do with a Michael Bay budget? I'm just trying to get like a million dollars. If somebody could give me one million dollars to make a movie, I can't even imagine what I could do. I'd be blowing shit up, collapsing buildings. Who knows?
2: <laughs> <laughs> I was going to ask you, you mentioned, like, obviously you said, I'm never going to direct a Star Wars or a Marvel. Is that something that you actually, like, not necessarily those brands, but. Is that something you actually aspire to do with something like that? Or would you, are you just have, I mean, are no. you write stories in that manner?
3: <laughs> you know, the answer is no. I don't even watch <laughs> Star Wars movies or Marvel movies. I'm just trying to speak in the language yeah. that human beings that watch movies understand because that's all they fucking watch, you know? But I have no interest in that shit, man. You know what I mean? I want fresh, original stories. I want things that feel like they came from a human being as opposed to a team of people sitting in a boardroom or whatever, you know? I mean, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, hands down, my favorite movie of the year. Hands down. And it's because of what, you know, it feels like a human being made that movie. You know what I mean?
2: Absolutely. I haven't seen it yet, but I, I, I mean, it's Quentin, so I...
3: Yeah, uh, (laughs) it's fucking great. It's great, you know what I mean? But uh, no, look, I mean, obviously, I would love to have a bigger budget. I would love to. I would love to make a $5 million movie. I'd love to one day make a $20 million movie. But do I really want to make a $150 million movie? I mean, don't get me wrong. I'd do it. My wife would be thrilled at the paycheck. And of course (laughs) I would. But that's not sort of my agenda, I don't think, you know. uh, I feel like once you get that big, then you're not really making a movie for... You know uh, yourself, or even a particular audience. who's just trying to make a thing that you know you're making white bread. You yeah. know, what I mean, something that everybody will eat and everybody will agree on. And I want to make something spicy. You know, I want to make a a spicy dish that a that a smaller number of people are going to absolutely adore instead of making something that's like a loaf of bread where everybody eats it. They're like, okay, you yeah, know, this bread.
2: Absolutely. Oh, that's awesome. That's I I assumed that's what you're going to say, but was, you never know. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But yeah, who know I mean, you can make a. Uh, a very, you know, dialect-heavy, awesome film with explosions and things blowing up. And, like, uh the Irish yeah, man or whatever I mean, look, that just came know, out, that's pretty James
3: cool. Gung, James Gunn kind of came up right yeah. where I did, and look at him. You know yeah. what I mean? It's all superhero movies all the time for him. But I just don't think that's in the cards for me. You know what I mean? I, I don't think that I'm interested in that, quite frankly. Yeah, uh, but That's awesome.
2: Yeah, James Gunn. Yeah, Guardians. He had a different... uh and that, even that was a different tone than any other one ever made, you know what I mean? So you get that.
3: Yeah, yeah, no, absolutely. And I feel like they need to be doing more things like that, but yeah. I think that every time they do, it's not always as successful as Guardians. And then they get gun-shy, and they're like, let's just bring back these people that we know can just deliver the thing that doesn't really offend anyone, that people don't really have to think about, it's, you know, whatever. It's know. like a bunch of flashing lights and like, loud noises for two hours, and they walk out satisfied. They're not trying to, you know, uh, I don't know, make don't, you think. Yeah, don't make me think too confront much. you. Yeah, 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 or anything like that. So.
2: Yeah, Don't offend me. <laughs> yeah. That's pretty much the thing. Um, Let me see here. I got all kinds of notes here. I'm trying to go back. Um, yeah, sure. Oh, 68Kill, you mentioned this to me, actually, uh, when we were messaging each other. So I'm super interested in this. You have uh, music from the the legendary Mike E. Clark. I do. How in the world? What? (laughs) I tried to look it up and I couldn't find it. It wasn't like. That's awesome. Uh,
3: You know, Mikey Clark's. Mikey Clark's got a whole bunch of like instrumental albums that he did. I can't remember what they're called, but they're like Volume One, Two, Three, Four, whatever. Beats for that ass. uh, uh, What's
2: that? Beats for that ass. (laughs)
3: Yes, yes. So I was listening to those and I was like, oh, I really like this song. I think it would fit like right here. Why was I listening to Mikey Clark? Because Mikey Clark's a fucking genius. You know what I mean? And I don't want to hear all this shit. I I get so, like, missed at the uh, fucking juggalo hate out there in the world. You know what I mean? It's, like, fucking ridiculous. But at the same time, it's what makes those guys so fucking awesome. They're like, I don't care how much you hate me. I'm going to keep doing this. I'm going to do it myself. In many ways, I feel like there's a parallel between myself and my attitude about filmmaking and ICP's attitude about music. You know, it's like, nobody's going to fucking help you out. Nobody's going to whatever. I don't need corporations. I don't need any of this. I know that I can do this. I'm going to go out and do it on my own. And so, uh, I mean, I've seen ICP a couple times in concert. Mikey Clark was a DJ. Uh, opened up for him one time when I saw him. And uh, I just liked that song. And uh, Mikey Clark was real easy to work with. He was kind of excited that, you know... Somebody was like uh, coming to him because it's not an ICP song, so we didn't have to go to Jay and and Shaggy or whatever to or psychopathic to get yeah. that that song. We just had to go to Mikey Clark, and he was like, "Oh fuck yeah, man!" And I mean, he basically gave it to us for free. It was really nice.
2: That's awesome. Shout out to Mikey Clark. Yeah, Mike Clark's awesome, man. We got uh we got really drunk with Mike in February
4: at oh, did You, you know, I gotta say. <laughs>
3: I always really liked their ICP. I liked what they were about. I I dig it. And then I fucking read their book, Behind the Paint. Have you ever read that? Oh, yeah.
2: Yeah, I read it and listened to the audio (laughs) book.
3: Yeah, yeah, dude. I read that book, and I was like, these guys are my fucking heroes. And from this moment on, I mean, I don't give a shit. I'm a juggalo, and fuck you guys. (laughs) You know, so uh, that book was, like, super inspiring to me, Ninja. Super inspiring, you know? And I was like, you know what? These guys are the best, and I don't give a shit what anybody says. So, That's awesome, man. Fucking, I'm I'm down with the clowns, man. And, I mean, dude, nothing would be greater than to somehow get Killjoy and ICP together in some way. That'd be sick. I would love for that to happen.
2: I was going to so say, you probably get, like, do you do uh, any, like, conventions, or do you ever do anything as a Killjoy character, like, no, publicly? No, or?
3: Nobody's ever asked me to, so, you know. See, I'm and sure you probably get a lot of Juggalos. A sex guy. Yeah, that would be awesome, dude. I fucking, you know, it's crazy because, I mean, whatever, man. I mean, I got, I listen to vinyl. I'm a vinyl collector, call, you know, whatever. And, I mean, I got fucking, I just bought uh, uh, fucking the Jekyll Brothers for the record store day, man. I got Great yeah. Malenko. I got all this shit on vinyl, man. I jam out to it.
2: That's dope, man.
0: That's awesome.
1: More than once, actually.
0: Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky?
1: I never win and tell.
0: Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.
2: We're, uh, we're all juggalos over here, man. That's, that's kind of how this whole thing started, to be honest, so...
3: Nice. Uh, well, I've literally been to twenty.
2: Ga- I've been to all twenty gathering of the Juggalos. Like, oh. oh my god, I want
3: to go to the so <laughs> so bad, man, so bad. uh like I said, I've seen, I've seen ICP a couple times. i times. d a went out of a long ago and saw Necro and of a That was pretty a Yeah. You know, Gmo was there. was yeah, you see the... Gmo? Uh, no, I didn't see that. He
2: played right before of a little bit of a little right before a
3: little bit of a little bit of the one in October. a little I of a little bit I a oh, little okay. I of a little it? What was it? I was pissed because I had to do something else, and I was like, "What fucking Mad Child and ICP? Plus. What?" It was like October 26th or something like it was right around there, and I, but I couldn't. I had some other fucking Halloween
4: That's event
3: awesome. or something that I had to go to, so I missed it. But I have seen Necro a couple. One time I saw Necro open for ICP.
2: Yeah, yeah, they did a yeah, they did a whole uh, like charity tour.
3: Coolio, Coolio, Cottonmouth Kings. I mean, it was a whole. Oh thing. yeah, the
2: Happy Days tour. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> coolio with this juggalo with uh only one g tattoo yeah,
3: yeah.
2: <laughs> that's awesome man yeah twisted does a uh convention every year now is this uh february would be the third one uh
3: where's that in detroit or yeah
2: it's in like sterling heights michigan called astronomicon like lloyd yeah. kaufman's gonna be there this year and kevin eastman and oh, no kidding all kinds of people nice man
3: maybe i'll, I'll nice. put I it in their I just listened to their, uh, what, their Hungry Like the Wolf cover. Yeah. Uh, they also work with Jimmy Urine from Mindless self Indulgence, also one of my favorite bands. So, no. you know, very exciting.
2: Yeah, that's I love that. That's, that, that. that's yes. I love Jimmy. I love Mindless. I love what he's doing by himself. He does, yeah, no, he does movies that's, that's, and video games awesome. and all that stuff. Oh, that's so dope.
3: Yeah, 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 yeah. No, man, I'm fucking, yep, yep. I'm, 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 I'm down with all that shit. That's awesome.
2: Sure. See how cool you are? You should do more fucking podcasts, bro.
3: <laughs> <laughs> you know what? You, know, you, consider, you should consider yourself a, uh, you know, look, and I'm not going to lie to you. I do say no to them quite a bit because I kind of do research on them. And I'm like, eh. But I got to say, I looked at your thing. I was like, oh, he does a lot of trauma. That's cool. Oh, he also does Full Moon. Well, that's right. Oh, well, look at all these fucking underground horrorcore, like, hip-hop guys, too. All right, you know what? I do all three of those. Yeah. This should definitely be something that I should do.
2: That's awesome. That's and a of lot it. of
3: people don't know that I'm a juggalo, man. They don't know it, you know, because I don't look like one. I look like a pretty regular ass dude. You know what
2: I mean? <laughs> yeah. one, t- unless you dress up like a demonic clown.
3: Yeah, 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 exactly. Look, look fundamentally, juggalo is <laughs> a state of mind. It's not a fucking, it's not your face paint. It's not your clothes. It's punk it's rock, It's state of mind. And yeah, yeah, it's fucking punk, right? It's the <laughs> same thing with punk rock. I'm yeah. a punk, I'm a juggalo, I'm all that shit, but I just sort of look like a regular ass dad and that's part of the plan. You know what I mean? It's Absolutely. like as you get older you're like, you know what? I don't need people to know what I'm into. I want to fucking surprise them or uh I don't really care what they if they know what I'm into cuz fuck them all. So that's kind of the way I look at it.
2: That's awesome. Um that that's super cool. Yeah, I'm definitely going to put that in their ear, man. Maybe we maybe they can uh maybe we can get them to book you for Astro 4 and do a Killjoy photo op or some shit for everybody. Oh I mean, dude,
3: I would and you know what, Tom Devlin, the makeup guy, he would totally come out and I would fucking killjoy the shit out of that dude. That would be awesome. I also am a, I'm also a fan of Twisted. I got, you know, geez, what did I just bought? I just bought Wicked on red double red vinyl yeah. about two weeks ago. I'm listening to that.
2: So Hell yeah. Um you did do um as I, I think I don't obviously it's the first time I've ever asked you. You did do uh, a Killjoy appearance once for a wedding,
4: right?
3: Oh, yeah, yeah, I guess that's true, although I don't re- yeah, yeah, that's true. I, I <laughs> got asked to be Killjoy Joy, one time outside of the movies, and it was to do a clown wedding. Wow, you're good, man. Uh, kudos to you. Kudos that you actually knew that. I was just going to not tell that story, but uh, <laughs> yeah, there were a couple what? people that were like, you know, they're weekend clowns, man. They're regular people who got jobs, but on the weekends, they like to dress up these like crazy clowns and go to bars and shit in Texas. And they asked me to be the best man at their wedding. And I was like, whoa, hey, listen, I'm just Trent Haga. I'm just an actor and a writer and a director. I'm not like Killjoy. And I was like, you know, you would have to fly me out. you have to put me up. you have to bring out Tom Devlin from Florida to do the makeup effects. You're going to have to pay me. Like, spend the money on, like, your honeymoon or something. And they were like, no, man, this is what we want more than anything in the world. And... So I was like, well, if you're willing to pay, I mean, I'm willing to do it. And that was really weird. But when I make these Killjoy movies, first day I put on the makeup, I come out on the set, everybody's like really into it. They all need their picture for Facebook or whatever, but then,
2: then it's work. you know what I mean? Yeah. We're all
3: pros and I only have to say what's on the script and the rest of the time I'm trying to stay cool and not, you know, asphyxiate and, uh, and you know, learn my lines and kind of whatever. So, I've never been like, "Okay, we're gonna put this on and let you loose into the world, and now you're just riffing you know what I mean <laughs> yes. and so that was a that was kind of weird right and uh the most interesting part of that night though is that i uh I went and I did this clown wedding that took place at like a haunted house attraction and at, all these people were there and I'm talking to them as Killjoy and I'm getting pictures taken and I'm signing their DVDs and it's really cool. But at the end of the night, they're like, okay, it's like midnight. We're going to go back to our house and have like a little after party. You should come by. And I was like, that's cool, but I'm going to go take all this shit off first. Cause like, you know, yeah. they could just pull their masks off. You know what I mean? I was like, or they had like, I had a full prosthetic on. So I was like, I'm going to take this off, and then I'll come to the house and meet you. So I take off all my makeup, and then Tom, the makeup effects guy, and I go to their house, and we're, like, hanging around. And I'm sitting there talking to people that I just talked to, like, an hour ago as Killjoy. You know what I mean? And they were like, this one girl was like, oh, my God did you get to meet Killjoy? And I'm like, no, I didn't. And she was like, oh, he was so cool. He signed my DVD and I'm thinking to myself, yeah, I know, because like, you know, I was standing right here talking to you like an hour ago with Killjoy. She was like, oh, it's so random. I'm like, yeah. She was like, do you think he's coming to the party? And I'm like, nah, I think he was like tired and went home to his hotel or whatever. And she's like, cool, cool. All right, see ya. You know, and it was like, almost like I, now I know what it's like to be Clark Kent and Superman. Right. You know what I mean? I got to be Superman, I got to be Killjoy, and all these people were like fucking talking to me or whatever, and then I go to a, a party as Trent Haga and I'm totally like, you know, ignored and it was awesome. <laughs> that, that, is that was awesome. like the most interesting part of it was that sort of like I get to get all of the attention for a minute, but then when I take it off, I get completely left alone and it was like great. It must be what the guy plays C3PL or whatever for right. like you know? <laughs> That's awesome.
2: Well, then I think it's funny. It's weird because I I heard you tell this story somewhere when I was looking for your stuff, but then I never saw it mentioned again. But it's actually a joke in the damn movie that I didn't. I literally didn't understand when I watched oh, the movie. Yeah, yeah, that's
4: right, then I heard that's you right. tell yeah, the yeah, story. Yeah, we talk about yeah, yeah, because I think those two clowns did some kind of
3: a. They shot something that ended up in the movie. So the two clowns that got married that I did the thing for have a little scene in, the, in Killjoy Psycho Circus.
2: Oh, dude, I just remember like Batty says when she comes back or something like that and she was mad at you. You're like, what did I ever do? And she's like, you did Shivers and Quivers wedding without me or something. And yeah. I was like, what is she yeah. talking about? That must have been in one of the movies I didn't watch. But then I heard you tell that well, story God, and my mind was a- like, holy cow, why does nobody know this? Why am I... Yeah, Learning exactly. This.
3: These movies get more and more meta every time around. I mean, for God's sake, I kill myself
2: Yeah, in that movie. that's awesome. How is that? Yeah. Interviewing yourself uh,
3: and killing yourself. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it's, it's hard. I'm not, once again, I don't want to be those actors as hard, but like first uh, like I came in and did all my Trent stuff before we put on all that makeup. You know what I mean? And so there's somebody just sitting in the chair reading the script of Killjoy's line, so yeah. I had to do all Trent stuff. And then I got to go sit in the chair for an hour and 15 minutes and get the makeup put on. And then I go back and do the other stuff, but I had just done the other dialogue. And so then I kept, it was hard to do because I kept getting screwed up. Uh, You know what I mean? Because I had to know both sides of the thing. And, but I was only able to do half of it. And then the other person isn't the other actor. They're just a PA or somebody They got sitting in that chair, reading the lines, you know what I mean? And so, uh, there was, there were a couple moments during that that were, it got confusing.
2: Yeah. Well, it's, it's definitely like an iconic scene now, and it's funny because you get to be a big jerk as yourself. Yeah, yeah. So,
3: <laughs> you know, yeah You're yeah, so exactly, Hollywood. Exactly. Yeah, Hollywood Hagen, man.
2: <laughs> um, I don't want to keep you too much longer, but I do want you to reveal another embarrassing story, um, for okay. all of our listeners to enjoy. It's about the uh, when you were making the movie, The Ghouls
4: jeez yeah, uh, yeah.
3: wow man yeah have this I a, already done I must have already wow you must have listened to okay. yeah yeah, man I All do right. my research Trent
2: movies. do it
3: <laughs> I like that I like that low budget movies right one of the things that you're uh, supposed to provide for people on sets I mean on big movie sets they've got like trailers and, and things where you can go to the toilet or whatever whereas uh, you know on a low budget movie there's no toilets I mean, we were shooting like this movie The Ghouls uh, In downtown L.A., we didn't have any permits. We didn't have any whatever. We were just sort of an underground uh, uh, thing, and we were shooting from, like, the time the sun went down until the time the sun went up. So it must have been, like, I don't know, midnight or so. We ate Pioneer Chicken, which is this nasty fried chicken. It was the only thing that's open 24 hours in downtown L.A. And uh, maybe 2 o'clock in the morning, I mean, I got to take a shit. Like, real bad, like, sweating and shaking. You know what I mean? You're like, I'm not going to be able to hold this. What do I do? But I was like in downtown at 2 a.m. and it was like nothing, man. And I eventually, you know, that was probably the lowest point of my entire film career where I was really like, what are you doing? You're making <laughs> no money, staying up all night long. And now you got to go behind a dumpster where a thousand syphilitic hobos, you know what I mean, have taken shit before and squat down there. And you got to shit on top of all this hobo shit behind this dumpster in an alley in downtown L.A. for the glory of making a movie that, uh, yeah, man, it was not my my highest point. I'm not going to lie to you. And it really just stood out in my mind. Because, I mean, actually, look, we're all human beings. We've all been in that situation. You're stuck in traffic, and you think you're going to diarrhea in your pants or whatever. I mean, it's the same thing. It's very uncomfortable, and you hate it, and it's a miserable experience. But then when you're like, I put myself in this situation voluntarily is when you really, really begin to question, like, what it? What in the fuck you were doing? You know, I mean, look, mm-hmm. I did what I had to do to make that movie. I went behind that dumpster, I took a whore into shit, and I pulled my pants back up, and I went back out, and I shot the rest of my
4: scenes. <laughs> awesome.
3: But, yeah, yeah, man, you know, the things you gotta do. And I think that's it's interesting. I always look at it like that. I mean, whatever needs to get done to get this stuff made. Uh, uh, but that's an attitude that, you know, not a lot of people have. You know what I mean? A lot of people are like, no, man, I mean, I got to have a toilet to make a movie. And I'm like, no, you don't. You don't need a toilet. All you need is a camera and some actors and, you know, a dumpster that you can use as a right. toilet.
2: <laughs> <laughs> but that's, I mean, as, as much as that's a, you know, a kind of, a, I, I don't know if it's embarrassing, but a silly story of funds, whatever it's, but it shows like, you know what I mean? Like the drive and the passion. Like I got to, this is what I have to do to get this. In order to make this happen, because this is number one, yeah. this, this taking a shit this is, is secondary. Number two, yeah, literally yeah, number, two. number two. Is what's it's literally number two. That's
3: exactly it, dude. It's about, like like I said, there's a luck involved. But there's a seeing opportunities and then putting it in there. And then the third component of that is never say die. You know what I mean. And if you commit to something, then you just commit a hundred percent all the way, no matter how miserable it could possibly be, it could possibly get. You know what I mean. And I think that those are sort of the three legs of the tripod. That if you want to call me a success, I don't know if I would call me a success, but I haven't had to work a regular job in many years, and uh, you know I'm not starving to death. Uh, uh, and so, but those are the three sort of legs of the tripod. You know, to uh, to to kind of. To do this, if you're not willing to do one or any of those, you know what I mean, or if you just got exceedingly bad luck. But luck is really just like, like I said, throwing the dice and taking that chance over and over and over again, and eventually you'll get lucky. You
2: know, absolutely. Well, I would definitely call you a success, but I think you're only going to get more successful from here.
3: So, well, you know, if there's any indication, I, I really I have no other option <laughs> at this point, and I got to keep going, <laughs> and I genuinely do fucking love it man i mean i i love it i love it this is what i was meant to do i just wish i could do it even more and certainly for a little bit more money but uh yeah i'm here i'm here i'm here to the bitter end I'll That's tell you awesome. that.
2: well you got some more people joining all along the way so the the car is starting to get fuller and fuller as you go. Even though I know it's been a slow ride, yeah. it's it's getting fuller.
3: It has, it has. You know what hopefully it's like one of those clown cars. You know what I mean? It can just fit like more and more people into it. That's right. what I'm hoping. Absolutely.
2: Talking. Hell yeah. <laughs> um So I, I I could probably talk to you all day, but I don't want to keep you much longer. Um you do you do all have right, the Death good, Simber thing go coming, right? The uh the show. Oh yeah, yeah,
4: yeah. Death Simber. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
3: Um yeah, 24 filmmakers. Each of us did a short, you know what I mean? Mine's, uh, five minutes is the maximum length because there's so many. It's more like an ABCs of death. And I guess the uh-huh. concept is it looks like an advent calendar, and, you know, it'll go into door number one, uh, December 1st, and that's a film. And then it goes out and it goes into door number two. I still haven't seen the movie yet. I mean, I've only seen my sequence. But no. right now it seems to be playing like festivals, and obviously Christmas is in a couple weeks. I thought when I shot it last December. That uh, that it would be out like on VOD and everything this December, but instead it's out on like the festival run this time around. Uh-huh. So I would imagine, sadly, that will mean that uh, the regular people won't be able to like you know sort of buy or rent this thing until next Christmas maybe. But oh, you know, it was just a fun, cool thing to do. Uh, I think mine's pretty rad. Uh, they liked it enough that they made me Christmas Eve, which is the last movie in the in the sequence. They were basically like your yours has such energy and excitement and it has a great ending and so we're gonna use it to end the whole film. So I am okay. the last film in the uh in December uh, anthology.
2: Mm. Well I guess we gotta wait a whole year to see that, but uh look forward to that coming. <laughs> yeah,
3: sorry man. That's all right.
2: Well, I don't want to talk about things that haven't been done yet, so I know that was done. So yeah,
3: was that about? one we could talk about because I have done it. I totally turned it in. Now it's in other people's hands. I so, got you. like you know, uh, oh, there's that. There's all those projects that I'm currently fucking around with that I refuse to talk about. But that one we can talk about. But I've already talked about it. That's all there is to it. You know, Perfect. it's coming. <laughs> it's. I finished my part. Now you guys have to wait for the distributors and everybody else to do their part.
2: There we go. Well, I got, I got one more question for you before I let you go get sure. your children um, because we ask all of our guests the same damn question because that's just what we do. Um, okay. Uh, essentially, you got three records that either inspired you you know, as a person or as an actor, as a director, as a writer, you listen to and you're sad or happy, whatever it may be. Just three records <clears throat> that you just could not live without. What would they be?
3: Ooh. okay. Uh, I am going to say you know these are the records that i just like always go back to i've probably always had a copy of them since they came out in various formats i'll listen to them anytime normally i would say anything by the damned they're my favorite band in the world uh but i guess if you got to narrow it down to just one of their records oh my god dude that's so hard i'm gonna say uh hmm, the black album by the damned although their new anthology called Black as the Night has like all of their greatest hits on four albums but it just came out I would just take that one there you it's go it's like their the anthology, anthology.
2: Yeah. perfect
3: yeah 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 yeah. the damned anthology is a great one uh, let me see here I mean we, we've already brought it up but Milo self is Frankenstein Girls Will Seem Strangely Sexy is a fucking killer record is a killer I record. fucking love it listen to it all the time uh, uh, this is really hard because I'm a huge huge crazy music head uh, What else Oh my god Oh my god You really put me on the spot There's so yeah. many uh,
4: oh,
3: Fuck I'm gonna say I like uh, <laughs> Typo Negative's Bloody Kisses I've had that one around forever There you go And um, Shit You know what I mean look We've already talked about them But uh, I will say The Great Malenko Get the fuck out of here Right I go. mean come on Boop, boop. You know, <laughs> yeah, indeed, indeed, man, totally. So, like, you know, those are four, but I mean, I've got you know hundreds of records in my collection. Oh, sure. Slayer, fucking death metal, Cannibal Corpse, Ministry, Bauhaus, anything, you know, uh, fucking Necro, Mad Child.
2: That's
3: awesome. Uh, yeah, yeah, I love, I love is all. There, of is there is
2: there a guilty pleasure in that bunch? Is there like you got the yeah, punk rock, the hardcore, like, the like metal? Is there like a Mariah Carey thrown in kind of, there or something? <laughs>
3: trying to think of who there's like uh, uh, you know I mean I listen to some weird shit but I would say that the, do I have a record that people would be like why the fuck do you have this record
2: like your best friend comes over and he's like bro what the hell are you doing yeah with this? Yeah, yeah, yeah yeah exactly
3: exactly <laughs> weirdly enough I don't know if I have one of those I mean there's a band that I listen to called This who are very like Euro poppy and you would not expect me to listen to that band so uh, uh maybe like anything in their catalog seems like something that i probably wouldn't listen to but that i really enjoy and then there are of course the people that i don't give a fuck what you say you don't like rob zombie fuck shit i fucking think i buy all of his records
4: so fuck you there you go yeah i don't i <laughs> honestly don't believe pleasure.
2: i don't yeah. say i don't believe in the like as i've gotten older i don't believe there is such thing as a guilty pleasure it's just a pleasure who cares
3: yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly, exactly. I don't need to feel guilty about this. You know what I mean? Kiss yeah. my ass, like, I like you know pop I mean? I music
2: sometimes. Shut up. Yeah, yeah,
3: yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly.
2: It's know? pop. It's catchy. Leave me alone. Yeah. <laughs> but that's awesome, man. That's uh that's you know, an array of stuff. Gives people an idea, you know what I mean? So and that's where yeah, the yeah, exactly. that's probably where the crazy mind of Trent Hager comes from, is that music. That's that's you may appear to be a normal hey. man but the things going into your ears that it, come out exactly, to your brain. Exactly, exactly. <laughs>
3: It's the stuff that keeps me, keeps me insane. It doesn't keep me sane, it keeps me insane, which is where I need to be. That's right.
2: Uh, well, I look forward to, uh, to seeing more of your insanity on the screen, and I'm sure plenty of other people do. And I definitely appreciate you taking right, the time well, to hang out with us today, man. It was, it was awesome, and yeah, hopefully we do it and again sometime. I appreciate sometime.
3: you being uh, patient with my uh, having to stop there in the middle of it. Um, but thanks for having me.
2: It's all good, man. Yeah, absolutely. Welcome to uh, the Replicon Radio family. Uh, let it. You got some stuff coming out that you can talk about. Let us know, and we'll uh, we'll get the word out. And like I said, we are going to uh, shoot a re- uh, a review for sixty eight K as well for for people to to check out. So hopefully we can get some more people to go view it.
3: Awesome, man. Appreciate it.
2: All right, brother. Well, much love. Go get your kids. Thank you again, and uh, hopefully we'll uh, we'll keep in touch.
3: All right. Sounds good. Thanks. All right, man. Thanks. All right. Bro.